Hello, and welcome to episode 104 of the podcast. Today, I'm so pleased to bring you our guest, Dr. Andrea Hilborn. Dr. Andrea is a naturopathic doctor who works out of downtown Kingston, Ontario. She has been in practice since 2011, and her focus is mainly on hormones and fertility, a topic which she dives into with us today. In addition to her practice, Dr. Andrea is a mom, a bookworm, and a houseplant enthusiast. We are so lucky to have Dr. Andrea, and I know everyone will take away a lot of important information from her interview. Enjoy. Welcome to Vino and Vaginas, the podcast. I'm your host, Cassie Dion, and I'm here to bring you interviews from the absolute best and brightest in their field, all about issues related to being a woman. From health and fitness to sex and dating and everything in between. My mission at Vino and Vaginas is to explore these topics, health, sexuality, and everything related to being a woman in a fun and safe environment free of shame, embarrassment, or stigma. It's going to be an amazing time. Now, let's get to it. So first off, I just want to thank Dr. Andrea for coming on the show. We are so, so, so excited to have you. And I already know a huge number of women who are just so incredibly keen to hear what you have to say. So thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. It's my pleasure. And I love to talk about this stuff. Oh, even better. We love hearing about it. (laughs) And so today we're going to zero in a little bit on the topic of fertility. But before we jump into that, for the listeners who might not be familiar with what exactly a naturopath does or why they should go see a naturopath, can you just give us a little kind of brief introduction about that? Yes. So we are a regulated healthcare practitioner. That means not uh, you have to have the training and you have to join the college in order to call yourself a naturopathic doctor. Um, And we have pretty broad training. We have training in biology and pathology and many of the things that physicians would study. And then we have training in things like nutrition, um, in traditional Chinese medicine, in herbal medicine. Um, And uh, so we do a lot of, we have a lot of different um, modalities that we use to help treat people. But I think the most important thing about us is the philosophy that we come from. Um, so we try to cooperate with the healing power of nature and we try to address the root cause of what somebody's illness is. We, we try to provide care that's individualized and we also try to try to teach our patients what's happening. So they understand where we're coming from and why we're making the recommendations that we are. That's amazing. And I really love that you're looking at the root cause and not just always necessarily focusing on symptoms and just kind of treating those alone, but actually trying to figure out why things happen right in the first place. Yeah. And I, I think it's an, an important one when it comes to fertility uh, because but way before women are dealing with fertility at all, oftentimes just after puberty, they're starting to deal with problems like acne or painful periods. Um, and for, for any of, number of reasons, they might be recommended to take the birth control pill. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so then later on come the years when they want to start trying to conceive, they come off the birth control pill and all those things that were happening before are still there. Right. It never actually addressed what was going on before. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. So as a naturopathic doctor, then do you kind of take a huge history and look at things from years past? Yes. Uh, (laughs) A first appointment with a naturopath, I admit, can be a bit overwhelming because I ask a lot of questions, Uh, particularly for patients that are seeing me for fertility reasons. There's a lot to discuss. Um, For example, I want to know all the details of a person's menstrual cycle. Is your cycle regular? Are you having PMS? What's the pattern of your bleeding? Are you having spotting before bleeding begins? How painful uh, cramps do you get? Because all of these things can tell me what's happening, what the physiology of the person's menstrual cycle is. That's really cool. So definitely be prepared to talk about anything and everything that might, that you might think is important or might not think is important when you go to a first appointment then. (laughs) Yes. Anything and everything. And and uh, any information that's already existing, blood work that's already been done, imaging that's been done, I'm happy to see anything that's available. Amazing. And then how did you specifically become interested in specializing in fertility? Well, uh, <laughs> women's health was what, my interest in women's health preceded my interest, interest in naturopathic medicine. Way back when, when I was a university student, I took a, a little workshop at the Women's Center that was about basal body temperature charting. Um, So detecting when you're ovulating based on the change in your body's temperature that occurs before and after ovulation. And I learned so much in that short workshop. um, And I was just shocked to realize what I didn't know about my own body. And so that started me reading about health, specifically reading about uh, more feminist perspectives on health, how culture interacts with health, particularly for women. Um, and it was from there that I decided I wanted, wanted to be in healthcare. And um, naturopathic medicine was what drew me in because as I was learning about health and alternative medicine, I came across it and uh, on the website for the school, it said treating mind, body, and spirit. And that really spoke to me. And then I started seeing a naturopath myself. And and that sealed my fate, I guess. Oh, I love it. I love when our kind of experiences help form, you know, our journey and where we go and how we can help others. So that's pretty cool. Um, So I don't know about you, but I feel like the topic of fertility and infertility is this like huge black box of information. And if you start to do some research on it, it's really easy to kind of go down the rabbit hole. And it's not necessarily that helpful because there's so much information and misinformation out there. So it's really, I'm really glad that you're here to help us wade through that and hopefully tell us what to like highlight what's important and what's not important (laughs) because there's a lot of info out there. And then when we're talking about fertility, I mean, is that quite simply just the ability to have a baby to conceive? Is that kind of the idea of what we're talking about? 
yeah, that yeah. that's what it is. That's all it is. And it does get a little bit confusing because um, some healthcare practitioners have moved towards using fertility to describe it and instead of infertility. Uh, so I, I think that can be a little bit confusing. Okay. And so fertility obviously is just the ability to conceive where infertility would mean someone cannot. Is that yeah. kind of the nomenclature there? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And how common is it then is infertility? Do you have any stats by any chance? In Canada, it's somewhere between 10 and 15% of couples that struggle with infertility. So it, it's, it's definitely the minority, mm-hmm. but that's still pretty common, you know, at least one in 10. Yeah, that's, that's still a big number. I read an, um, an article once that said one in 10 women have tried a dating app. And I don't know about you, but I know a lot of women that have tried a dating app. So if that same number of people are also <laughs> experiencing infertility, I mean, that's something that we should pay attention to. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, surely that number must be higher. 10% on the dating app? I don't know. Like, I guess it's maybe of all age groups. I'm not sure, but it's definitely something I should look at (laughs) because it's an interesting stat, right? That is very interesting. (laughs) Okay. Let's rewind a little bit and like truly start at the beginning. So say we have a couple who is thinking of the possibility of starting a family. What should this couple do? Or is there really even anything that they should do at this point or really should think about at this point? Mm, That's... It's a great question. Um, So seeing if they see their family doctor, their family doctor can do some of the standard blood work, like checking for sexually transmitted infections, which is important. Um, And checking your blood type, very, very uh, basic things like that. Um, It's my opinion that couples should be on a prenatal vitamin before trying to conceive and also on fish oil before trying to conceive. Uh, Prenatal vitamins, as opposed to just folic acid, say, um, increase your likelihood of getting pregnant. So I think that's helpful. And I think it's nice to have those in place before you even conceive, since so much development takes place before the positive pregnancy test. Um, I I think that other micronutrients should be tested as well. Things like your iron level, um, B12 level, and vitamin D level. Um, And I would suggest taking a peek at the thyroid function as well. Of course, if somebody's taking hormonal birth control, Mm -hmm. they'll want to plan when to come off of that. And, And that's a bit of a tricky one because some people's fertility will return right away as soon as they stop hormonal birth control and other people will take quite some time up to six months. Wow. Um, The best information that I can find about that is that fertility is reduced on average for about three cycles after stopping hormonal birth control. From my perspective, from a naturopathic perspective, um, I want to know for my patients that are planning on trying to conceive what is their menstrual cycle like Are there any symptoms that we should be addressing before they try to conceive? That's great. And so they can get obviously their blood work done, you know, by seeing their GP or, but what about the fish oil? So what's the reason for the fish oil in addition to the prenatal vitamin? So the the fish oil isn't about fertility. It's about 
labor and delivery outcomes. Uh, and also on average, <laughs> I think this is such, there was a study that, <laughs> that taking fish oil on average increases the size of the baby's head. So that doesn't sound like a great thing as a <laughs> to deliver a baby, but <gasps> you think of the baby's um, central nervous system, their brain going forward for the rest of their lives. I think it's worth it. <laughs> That's really interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> and so when looking at how you can optimize conception, are we looking at improving the likelihood of conceiving or improving the speed at which we can conceive or do they kind of both come into play? Yeah, I'm not sure if you could separate those two out. Okay. Um, so the, the likelihood of conceiving for most people would be related to how frequently they ovulate. Hopefully each person ovulates with each cycle, but but that doesn't happen for everybody. And um, so that would, I don't think you could tease out how quickly you conceive and your likelihood of conceiving. That makes sense. And so for ovulation, you said not everyone ovulates each cycle. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, can you expand on that a little bit? Yes. Okay. So ovulation is the event in the, the middle of the menstrual cycle where the egg cells release from the ovary and goes into the fallopian tube and can be um, fertilized. So sometimes people won't have regular periods. Mm-hmm. And if somebody doesn't have regular periods, we, we know they're not ovulating as frequently as somebody who does. You can also have the situation where a person has a regular menstrual cycle, but they're not ovulating with each cycle. So of course, if, if you have a cycle where you don't ovulate, you cannot conceive in that cycle. And are there any, like, let's say warning signs of someone not ovulating, but who is having a menstrual menstrual cycle? Is there any way people would be able to know that? Yes. You, okay. Not know it for sure (laughs) um, from symptoms, but symptoms like having severe breast tenderness, um, really bad PMS, like irritability, um, having menstrual migraines, and having heavy menstrual blood flow, having very bad cramps, all of those things can indicate that you're not ovulating with every cycle. And then of course you can use different methods of of detecting ovulation. Um, So some people will have a little bit of pain or a little bit of spotting around the time of ovulation. Um, You can use basal body temperature charting, which is where you take, take your temperature first thing each morning and record it either on a paper chart or one of the many apps that are now available uh, and your, your temperature is lower before ovulation and higher after, or you can use ovulation predictor kits or the, the less expensive LH strips. Okay. And these apps or these methods of tracking it, will they kind of give us an idea if we're not ovulating as frequently as we want to be? Yes. And are there women who don't ovulate for many cycles or does it tend to be kind of random? If a, if a woman has a regular menstrual cycle, it's going to be more rare that they miss an ovulation. Okay. That's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) And what is the effect of age in all this? So if we rewind a little bit again and go back to that couple trying to conceive for the first time, if that couple was in their mid thirties instead of, you know, 
like low 20s or mid 20s does that have a major factor it is age is definitely a factor and on average it looks like women's fertility starts to decline around age 32 which I hate for that to even <laughs> my lips. I'm 35. <laughs> um, and for, for men, uh, the concentration of sperm starts to, de- um, starts to decline around age 40. But that's as a population, that's on average. And so for each individual, we can't say, like I can't say I'm 35, my fertility has started to decline. I don't know that for sure. Um, so we, uh, an indicator that can be helpful is when did your mother go through menopause for, for most people, the last natural conception, uh, or last, sorry, last birth will take place 10 years before menopause. We also have Uh, markers of ovarian reserve that we can measure. Um, And and that is kind of a a thumbnail of how many egg cells you have left in your ovaries. But uh, none of those tests tells us with, like none of those tests tells us about someone who's trying to conceive without using assisted reproduction, IUI or IVF. So we can't use those tests. I couldn't say, okay, my um, AMH, AMH is one of the ovarian reserve tests. I can't say mine is this number. So that means I have this many years left. We we're not at that level yet. Although of course, scientists are trying to make that happen. Which is pretty cool. But even just having those general ideas, I think is helpful for people. I really, the menopause, that's really fascinating. I didn't realize that 10 years prior. Yeah. Very neat. People have babies beyond that threshold, um, often with assisted reproduction. And, and when you get to the, the much later years, it's like some of the older pregnancies that you hear about are with donor eggs. Okay. And so that's kind of helping the process. That extends the years um, when you can have a baby, if you're using younger egg cells. Makes sense. I, so I find that there's so many women that are struggling with conceiving or maybe just find it's taking a long time or, or perhaps just longer than they were expecting. So when is it considered a problem? How long after trying and let's say failing to conceive, is it considered a problem? Is it considered infertility? So for for women under 35, it's after 12 months. And for over 35, it's after six months. Okay. So you can see that's some kind of an arbitrary cutoff. And, And the reason for the shorter number for women over 35 is because they want to get them assessed more quickly because there's, there's less time um, left to conceive. That makes sense. And so 12 months, if you're under 35, six months, if you're over 35, then considered infertility. But I assume 
because it's this arbitrary number that it's still possible for conception past these points. It's not um, a diagnosis of doom by any means. No, actually quite the opposite. Um, Oh, where is, I have a number for this, but so even for couples that haven't conceived after 12 months, their likelihood of conceiving in the next 12 months is still high. And I had a number, but I can't put my finger on it right now. That's okay. Uh, oh, it's half. Okay. Half of couples who do not conceive after one year will conceive in the next year without treatment. Wow. So then yeah. in the grand scheme of things, is that diagnosis of infertility, does that really change anything? Does it provide more treatment options for people? Does it, does that label really make a difference to the couples trying to have a baby? What that label does is get them a referral to a fertility specialist. Okay. And that's pretty much all it does. Okay. So if they were, say you have a couple and the woman's 37 and it's five months, will she have to wait till that six months to get that referral to the specialist? (laughs) Probably not. It depends (laughs) on the family physician. And if there are any other factors, um, you know, if she has polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, Siren. (laughs) If there are any other factors, you know, if she's, if she's only having a period every three months, then her family doctor can refer before that, that time span has elapsed. Okay. That's helpful because I assume the quicker you can intervene with this, the better the outcome. Well, theoretically, you know, because, you know, the older a person gets, the the less fertile. Mm-hmm. It makes sense, and also there's a lot of stress and anxiety going along with trying to have a baby and not being able to. So, I think that will also help, you know, their their emotional state and and everything. Yes, I. It's really helpful for people going through this to feel that they're they're doing what they can do. Absolutely. Now. I obviously get to work as a public health physio. I get to work with a lot of wonderful, amazing women and moms. And, and I can't tell you how many tell me how easy they conceived for their first child, right? Like went off birth control, bam, like quick. But then when they're trying to have their second or maybe third, that it's just, it's not happening for them or it's taking forever. Or unfortunately, many are also suffering early pregnancy losses when they try for their seconds and thirds. Is this common? Does this happen a lot where the first child conceived pretty easy, but then maybe not the following? So I would say it's still not common in that it's the minority of couples still, but it it certainly does happen that the first pregnancy is easy and no problem. And and the second, not so much. And of course the woman is older and the the partner is older um, the second or third time around. Um, Sometimes the spacing of pregnancies can be not long enough. So 18, at least 18 months um, is is ideal spacing. Um, and then there, as a person ages, there, there's a higher likelihood of other health factors that can affect their fertility. Um, you know, change in body mass index, hypertension, diabetes, mental health uh, issues. And, and from my perspective, 
did the menstrual cycle get back on track? Mm -hmm. Um, is it still looking as good as it did beforehand? And, and I also believe it's important for nutrients to be topped back up. Apparently it can take seven years for a woman's body to be replete in all the vitamins and nutrients again after a pregnancy. So, um, I, I think that's a factor. Oh, I I can't imagine it wouldn't be now. Is it different for women who breastfeed? Is that going to take longer to, you know, replenish all of those hormonal or balance all those hormones? Well, for balancing the hormones. Um, yes, it can be different because women who breastfeed, not all, but for some of them, the return of their menstrual cycle will be delayed. And for some, if they're, they're breastfeeding around the clock, it can be delayed quite a long time. So um, as long as that, that prolactin that allows the breast milk to be produced is high, it suppresses the menstrual cycle. So that could definitely, it could definitely take longer. Okay. And that 18 months between pregnancies, is that between pregnancies or is that after breastfeeding? That is from pregnancy and like the end, the birth and delivery next pregnancy. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. That's very interesting. Um, Okay. So kind of what would you say are some common reasons then that couples struggle to get pregnant? Okay. So the, the most common is age. And that's, I think that's just the, the world we live in now. You know, we're trying to make sure we have all our ducks in a row before we have any babies. And we're, we're getting a lot of education and <laughs> it takes yeah. a long time to get the ducks in a row. It's so true. <laughs> I know I'm so that person that like compartmentalizes life. So I was like school. Okay. Now job. Okay. Until that's good. I can't do anything else. And then, right. And I think a lot of women are like that. <gasps> yeah, totally. Um, I remember when I was trying to get pregnant, I, I felt kind of guilty because I didn't feel like, uh, I didn't feel like my ducks were quite in a row enough. And I'm like, well, what is my threshold exactly? (laughs) (laughs) And really, do we ever have all of our ducks in a row? I don't know that that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Legit question. Uh, Okay, so age is a factor. Um, Ovulatory disturbance, which we talked about before, that's that's a fairly common one. And polycystic ovarian syndrome is the most common example of that. So that's what we were talking about earlier, where ovulation isn't taking place with every cycle. And uh, of course, male factors, mm-hmm. um, the concentration of, of sperm being the most important. Um, and then sometimes there are anatomical reasons. For example, if the fallopian tubes are blocked by scarring. Okay. And would women who are experiencing multiple early pregnancy losses, are these likely due to the same factors or are there different factors for that? There are different factors for that. So there, uh, when it comes to recurrent pregnancy loss, Um, chromosomal abnormalities, meaning changes to the DNA within the egg cell and sperm cell um, is the most common, uh, most common cause when, when a cause is discovered. Um, And, and that would be more likely to happen with age. 
Um, and then something called antiphospholipid antibody syndrome and anatomic abnormalities. Uh, so the, the causes are pretty different. Uh, like if we're talking just infertility, ovulatory disturbance is our, is our big one. Okay, that makes sense. And if we're going back to the infertility then, do we ever get a concrete answer? So this is why you're struggling or is it more likely not to be one factor, but instead a constellation of several perhaps overlapping factors? So sometimes we get an answer and sometimes we don't, but from, from my perspective, even if one uh, reason is is pinpointed, there are always a constellation of factors, always. Um, so perhaps someone isn't ovulating with each cycle. And I also discover that they're low in iron um, or their sleep is really poor. So their hormone called melatonin is very low and melatonin is an important antioxidant in our bodies. Um, Perhaps their vitamin D is low. Perhaps um, their intake of fruits and vegetables is very low. To my mind, there's always a number of causes. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. And especially looking at the lifestyle factors and behavioral factors. And, and there's always so much we can do to better our health in a variety of ways, right? So I think at least in terms of physio, a lot of times if people have a diagnosis, sometimes they can ruminate and get stuck on that diagnosis and then not look at all the other things that can help. And so I don't know if you find it the same in fertility, but definitely like being empowered and knowing that there's so much you can do outside of that diagnosis, I think is really important. Yeah. The, the analogy I like to use is that like, if you're reaching for something on the top shelf, and you can't quite make it. Maybe you like stack one book and you stand on top of that. You still can't quite reach it. So you stack another book and another book until finally you can reach the top of that shelf. And there's, there's so many different books that we can look at. No doubt. Oh, I like that. And I'm an analogy girl. So that's amazing. (laughs) I might steal it in the future. (laughs) Okay. So say the status is unclear what can couples do? What can they look at? What can they, how can you help them to conceive? So if, if somebody's status is unclear, um, meaning like they're just starting to try to conceive. Yeah. Or if they don't necessarily have that pinpoint answer, but they're, they're struggling. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is like, this is exactly where, where a naturopath can come in and and say, well, what can we do? And so I would start with all those questions Mm -hmm. and then I would be doing a set of blood work. Um, Common tests I run are for iron levels, B12 levels, vitamin D levels, thyroid function. Um, Sometimes I'll test the hormones. Sometimes it's not indicated. Um, Looking at the pattern of the menstrual cycle and also taking a look at the timing of sex. So there are multiple ways to go about determining when you're gonna have sex. If you're not going to monitor ovulations, then having sex every other day is good. Apparently if you have sex every day, 
uh, your chances of conceiving with each cycle are 37%. Or 37%? Yes. <laughs> with sex every day. Oh my gosh. Some couples are up to, many couples are not up to Not. (laughs) (laughs) And so is the recommendation of every other day just so, you know, for the couples who aren't into that or, or not up to that, I should say, or is it, is there actually, is it actually more likely that you'll conceive? So sex every other day uh, is the recommendation you know, like if you were having more sex than that, it, it would increase your, your odds. But I, I don't think the difference is large. I can't remember Fair. what the number is for every other day. No. Uh, but for once a week, the number is 15% per cycle, okay. likelihood of competing. So it's somewhere in between. Okay. <laughs> and then obviously tracking it gives you a little bit more, tracking obviously it. not precision, but it would help a little bit. So Studies have not confirmed that timing intercourse with ovulation increases the chances of conception. However, there are a lot of question marks in there. You know, like what method was used? How were the people taught? Do we know if they were doing it correctly or not? So I, I believe that uh, for those that, that want to do it, I think timing intercourse is a good idea. That makes sense. And then other than timing intercourse, what are some interventions or specific treatments that you might, you know, counsel a couple on if they're struggling? Okay. So I often have people topping up their nutrients. Um, That's a big one. And then there are herbs and supplements that can, that can do different things. If somebody isn't ovulating regularly, I might recommend inositol, for example. Inositol is a supplement that's well-studied for polycystic ovarian syndrome. Uh, If somebody was over age 35, for as a different example, I might want to give them things to improve egg quality, like CoQ10 or N-acetylcysteine, or perhaps melatonin. If their thyroid was under-functioning, then we would have to address that one way or another. And, and then another uh, treatment that I'm offer, often recommending is supplementing with progesterone. Mm-hmm. As women start to approach menopause, way, way, way before menopause actually happens, hormone levels start to change. Estrogen levels stay the same or become higher and they're more erratic, they're, they're up and down more. And progesterone levels start to naturally kind of taper off. And so if we supplement with them, we can restore cycles to being more regular and less symptomatic. Okay. So upping nutrients, herbs and supplements, and then obviously progesterone being one of them. Okay. And then what nutrients and like specifically are we thinking of or, or what do we want to up when it comes to that? (laughs) Uh, So a favorite, a favorite one right now, like the darling of researchers right now is vitamin D. Uh, I have started testing all of my patients for vitamin D levels. Barely anybody is sufficient. Wow. Nearly anybody, even people who are supplementing with the recommended daily amount, which is a um, thousand international units, 
so that is an important one. I was, I was at a conference earlier in the year and there was a presentation about um, miscarriage and what we can do to prevent, prevent miscarriage. In every known cause of miscarriage, there's now uh, some evidence base to say vitamin D decreases the risk. Wow. Yeah, and it, it's a fairly easy one. You know, you do the blood test, you see where your level is at, and then you supplement. You can supplement at a fairly high level to correct a deficiency quickly, mm -hmm. retest to make sure it's worked and that you're still at a, a safe level because if you take too much vitamin D, it can become too high. That's fascinating and something, I mean, potentially quite simple, right? It's simple. <laughs> I know. I love when the answers are simple. And the fact that when, like you were saying, most of the people you test are insufficient in it. And that's crazy, especially I get like Canadian winter and all that, but we just had a wonderful summer. And so even <laughs> in the summer, would you say people are deficient in it? Should they be supplementing year round? Obviously blood work dependent, but. Yes. Doing the blood work is, is key. Um, but I, I have not seen people's numbers rise dramatically in the summer compared to the winter. I really haven't. A friend of mine just moved out to Whitehorse. Imagine like it's dark. I think she gets four hours of sun in the winter. So I'll make sure she, uh, she checks her vitamin D levels. <laughs> and it's not just fertility, you know, it's our bone mineral density. It's our immune system. Um, it's stabilizing for the mood. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've seen actually a lot of research on vitamin D for various ailments and like viruses even lately. So it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Okay. So back to treatment. So you said nutrients, making sure they're kind of where they should be supplementing with herbs and supplements. And then what about lifestyle nutrition? Is that a factor? Is that something people have to look at? Yes. Yes. Thanks for bringing that up for sure. That is, that is a factor. Um, I, I like people to be exercising, um, but I don't want <laughs> I don't want to be guilt tripping anybody. And so if somebody comes to me and I ask every, every new patient about their energy level, if their energy level is below six, I say, let's wait to bring your energy level up before I push exercise for you. And diet is important as well. And the main thing that we know diet wise is lots of fruits and vegetables are helpful. Okay. A lot of snacks are not helpful. Okay. Alcohol should be three drinks a week or less. Yep. And what would a lot be considered? I know many people are going to have that question is like any snacks too many are well, like frequent little meals. I'm guessing that's kind of what you're getting at. Like we don't want to have like six little mini meals all day, every day. Um, but what, uh, yeah. What, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, when it comes why does a lot of, of snacks? Yeah. Okay. So actually I'm specifically, I'm referring to what we might call junk food, things like cookies, okay. chips, candy, um, ice cream, desserts, that kind of thing. Yep. Okay. I get you there. I thought you meant like frequency of eating. <laughs> there, as far as I know, there's no information on frequency of eating on like whether you're a grazer or doing intermittent fasting. As far as I know, there's no information about that and fertility. 
Okay. Amazing. Yeah. I'm with you. Junk food, not good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's amazing. So we have kind of the supplements, the nutrients, the exercise and the diet. Is there any research on, you know, we want to do strength training or, or any certain type of exercising, or is it really just moving and not being sedentary? Moving and not being sedentary is the main thing. And there seems to be a sweet spot of 30 to 60 minutes of exercise per day of moderate intensity. Um, meaning if you can, you can talk, but you can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to sing right now during COVID anyway. So <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, but there probably is more specific research that has come out that I don't know of yet. Um, but I, I keep my eye out for it. And a colleague of mine I know is doing a review right now and she's going to do a continuing education course for us naturopaths. So very cool. I think there will be more specific information soon. Okay. And I'm going to ask a question that probably does not have an actual answer to (laughs) that you might not know the answer to, but I was um, looking at one of your PowerPoint presentations that you had and it said, I can't remember the statistic exactly, but it was something like dropping from what, from six cans of Coke or something to one can of Coke, you improved your chances by like 30 something percent. Right. So again, I might be butchering that a little bit, but my question then is there, do you know of the success rate of these natural interventions or is there any way to kind of objectively know if you're improving your chances? Oh, great question. Um, So theoretically, I should know the answer to that for every single piece of advice I give. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not that good. That's okay. (laughs) I said there might not be an answer. (laughs) Sometimes we know and sometimes we don't know. But um, I always want, I always monitor something with my patients. Is their cycle becoming more regular? Um, are they now seeing fertile quality cervical fluid where they didn't before? Um, things like that. Okay. Amazing. And is it true that if people lower their uh, pop intake that they have a better, <laughs> is it that dramatic? <laughs> well, that's what the, this, there isn't a whole ton of research about that, but the research that there is does say that it's not good to drink a lot of pop. Okay, that's good. There's a lot of reasons it's not good to drink a lot of pop. <laughs> um, okay, so say people are doing all of this, they've looked at their nutrients, they're supplementing. How long before you recommend they look at assisted reproductive technology so or methods? So your IUI or your, I, or your IVF. Is it once you get that you pass that stage of being infertile or, or that diagnosis, I guess it's called. Yeah. I I encourage my patients to get a referral to the fertility clinic as soon as they're entitled to. So either at that 12 month or six month mark, or if they have other reasons, like not, not having regular periods, for example, Mm -hmm. encourage them to go as soon as possible because then they know what their options are and they can decide if and when to pursue them. Okay, that's good. It's true. And sometimes it takes long to get into specialists. So the sooner the referral goes in, right? Yeah. And hopefully for some of those couples, at least by the time they actually get in, they've already conceived and are on their way to birthing a healthy baby. Awesome. (laughs) Okay. I love it. And in terms of your treatment and natural path, 
treatment, is there a co- I'm assuming there's a cost. How do people pay you? Is it OHIP covered? Is it extended health covered? There's no OHIP coverage for naturopathic medicine. Uh, many people do have coverage if they have a health insurance plan. And I do direct billing. Amazing. Uh, yeah. I restarted that earlier in the year and I, I think it's fantastic. Although the turnaround time for getting refunded is so quick now. Anyway, oh, is it? That, that's good to know. <laughs> so people uh, have really different, really varying amounts of coverage for naturopathic medicine. Sometimes it's a copay. Sometimes it's just like a certain amount within the year. Um, so that's a possibility. And, and then many people just pay out of pocket. Definitely. I know like anything, right? It's, it's your health, it's your future. So it's definitely worth the investment. That's for sure. Okay. So we talked about a lot of really good stuff there. Outside of what we chatted about, is there anything else you can think of that can help women and couples with their fertility or did we kind of cover it all? We've covered a lot of ground. Um, I think what just one thing I want to point out is that to my mind, a uh, woman's menstrual cycle is like a vital sign. It's, it's like your pulse, your temperature, your blood pressure. It can be an indicator of overall health and anything that you do to improve your health, any healthy habit that you have will be good for your fertility. Mm-hmm. I like that. Basically overall health, right? Mm-hmm. And so I love the menstrual cycle as a vital sign is, so then my question is what can negatively impact your menstrual cycle? We haven't really talked about stress, but I know that to be one <laughs> is, and then diet and exercise. Is there anything else or is it really just those main lifestyle factors? Uh, yeah, those main lifestyle factors are the ones, okay. um, excess alcohol and tobacco are bad. I think you know, we've heard that message for many different areas of health and it's true for fertility as well. Yeah. Okay. And excess. One thing I think we haven't touched on is getting good sleep. Oh, yep. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's an important one as well. Okay. So I, I love it because all of these factors we're talking about are just, like you said, like so important for overall health. And so basically, if we try to optimize our overall health, we're going to optimize our menstrual cycle and we're going to optimize our fertility. It sounds like, right? Exactly. Yeah. I love it. So more reasons to sleep well, exercise and eat well. <laughs> and always plugging because stress is kind of mixed in the, in the research, like long-term chronic stress. We don't have a lot of hard evidence saying that that, that impacts fertility. We believe it does. Sometimes we seem to see evidence in individuals that it does. Um, Short-term stressors can definitely cause a person to skip, skip an ovulation. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the, on the flip side, there is a little bit of information to show that doing relaxing things improves fertility. Deep breathing, I found this so mind-blowing. And this is only one study, um, but it was about deep breathing for 20 minutes per day and it improved uh, the likelihood of conceiving. And then there was a, <laughs> a again, just one study, but uh, it was for people undergoing IVF. And if after the uh, 
after they have their embryo transfer, they, they are visited by a medical clown. I, <laughs> I don't know what a medical clown is, but I assume it's just a clown in a medical setting. <laughs> <laughs> For 15 minutes, then they're, they're more likely to conceive from that embryo transfer. Wow. And is the mechanism that they're assuming to be that relaxation piece? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I think that is pretty fascinating. So I always like to plug deep breathing, although I find it to be a tough sell. <laughs> Honestly, like as a pelvic physio, I'm always doing it too. And I'll have to, after we uh, publish this, this podcast, I'm going to have to post, I have this amazing video of what it looks like to our organs and our body when we deep breathe. And honestly, it helps the sale a lot when I show people this. And it's because you can see how much movement there is with every deep breath. And conversely, if you're not breathing with your diaphragm or going through that deep breath, how little movement there is. And then we, we, it really just helps to show kind of how much movement and, and mobility is happening when we breathe. And so add on the relaxation piece of that. And like the things that can improve are shocking, right? <laughs> so I'm with you on the deep breathing. <laughs> we can, uh, we can tell everybody to do it. Maybe not 20 minutes. I think 20 minutes is a top sell. Though. 20 minutes is far too high a bar. <laughs> I've learned that over time. <laughs> I usually ask for five and probably get like three. So <laughs> I'm experimenting lately with asking people to do three sessions of two minutes in a okay. day. <laughs> Other one that I really like for people is like picking something you couple it with. So I say, okay, every time you go to the washroom, you wash your hands, take two deep breaths and that's it. And then you're going to leave the washroom. You're going to forget about it, but then you'll go again. Right. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. And I don't know. I don't think there's any information on that little amount of deep breathing and fertility, but there is on blood pressure. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Or even I always liken it to posture. So my tip for posture to people is similar to that. It's like, Every time you walk through a doorway, kind of check your posture, you will literally forget about it in four seconds and you'll go back <laughs> to your old way, but that's okay. Cause you'll walk through another doorway and eventually in a couple of weeks that becomes more natural and you don't actually have to check yourself because it's just there. And that's kind of my, I guess, analogy too, for breathing, because you're doing that frequently throughout the day. And eventually it's just more natural that you'll breathe that way versus kind of that chest breathing, apical breathing. And so I, that's why I think it's valuable to add just little bouts in your day. <laughs> Don't know if there's research on it, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in terms of, we briefly, briefly talked on it, but in terms of early pregnancy loss, do you have any advice either with regards to interventions or just any of advice for women, kind of the emotional toll it takes on them as they move forward? Hmm. Um, similar to the information about if you, if you've been dealing with infertility, you're likely still fairly likely to conceive um, without intervention. Even if you've had two miscarriages, three miscarriages, you're still more likely than not to go on and have a pregnancy that does go to term. So that's, that's something that's very good to keep in mind. Absolutely. Cause I'm sure people get really, or couples will get very disheartened. Right. And, and feel like it's not possible. It's a very difficult thing to go through. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we don't have 
a lot of information um, about it, a lot of information about why it happens. But like for, for most cases, there won't be an identifiable cause. And we don't have very much information about what treatments work for it. Um, so I, I really like to promote that same idea that we were talking about earlier of do, do what you can. And there are many little things that can be done. Absolutely. And stack those odds. And I also think it's important. I, I think people are aware now uh, when it comes to infertility that um, males need to be addressed as well. Mm -hmm. But that is true for recurrent pregnancy loss as well. And that might seem less, less obvious, but it, it is definitely the case. That's amazing. That's, that's an important thing I think for people to know too. Yeah. Like for yeah. example, uh, the, the male partner's body mass index, uh, if it's elevated, that can be a risk factor for recurrent pregnancy loss. Wow. So it's just yet another reason for couples to work together to better their overall health. Yes. Yeah. And do you know, of any good resources, either locally or not locally, um, for women or couples who have suffered multiple or pregnancy loss or multiple pregnancy loss, is there any good resources for them to turn to? I know they don't always hear of these resources, sadly, when it's happening or in the early days. I'm not aware of any support groups that are running right now. Okay. Um, there is the... Um, I think it's called pale. That's like a national effort. Yeah. Pregnancy and infant loss network it's run okay. out of Sunnybrook hospital. So that's accessible. Um, but I'm not aware of anything locally. Okay. And I'm sure, unfortunately with COVID that's part of it. Yeah. yeah. But if we can even just look to the national effort, I'm sure they have other resources that they can help people with. Okay. And then any words of advice for couples looking at those assisted methods such as IUI or IVF, or is it more of the kind of same thing, just better yourself and stay healthy and sleep and all of that? Uh, so it's from my pers for what I'm doing, I'm still doing the same stuff. If, if a couple's going to IUI or going to IVF. I'm still looking at all the same things and treating the same things. But I, I think if you're, if you're undergoing something like that, particularly IVF, I think it's good to have the, the mindset that you're going in like an elite athlete. You know, don't go in there <laughs> unprepared. Take some time to implement the healthy habits to make sure that your iron level is good and your vitamin D level is good. Um, and all those things go in, in the, in the best possible position um, that you can, because um, you want to give yourself the absolute best chance. I love that. I really love that. And then what about long-term health beyond fertility? Any tips for women? Oh, okay. So this is, <laughs> <laughs> I have so many tips. Um, oh, this I love it. To the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. Um, there's just so, so many things that our hormones are important for so it, later on in life. One of our biggest risk factors is falling and having, breaking a bone. Um, 
so our, our bone mineral density and our bone mineral density starts like the factors that impact it the most start way earlier in our lives. And women who ovulate with each menstrual cycle have better bone mineral density than those that skip some ovulations. Hmm. So we should all, I, I think it's kind of our birthright to be aware of what a healthy menstrual cycle looks like and if ours isn't on track, <laughs> to have the help we need to, to restore it. That's awesome. That's stuff I wish we all learned at an earlier age than we necessarily do. Um, yeah. So a couple markers of a healthy menstrual cycle. It's regular. So yeah. it, it's predictable. Um, it's in, within 25 to 35 days in length. There's something called molymina. So some symptoms that indicate your period is about to begin, you know, maybe a, a little bit of breast tenderness and increase in appetite, um, maybe a, a mild change in your mood, but not, not symptoms that rise to the level of being bothersome. Okay. Like premenstrual symptoms that would indicate that you haven't ovulated regularly. Uh, and, and neither too heavy nor too light of bleeding, which is a, a bit of a vague statement, <laughs> <laughs> but I define too, I, when I'm looking for too heavy of bleeding, um, I ask, have you had any leaking or flooding and then kind of investigate from there. Okay. That makes sense. Amazing. Well, I have one last question for you, but before I ask it, where can people find you? Are you on Instagram, on Facebook and all of that good stuff? Um, yes, I'm on Facebook. I, it's just Dr. Andrea Hillborn ND and I'm on Instagram as well. I've been making, uh, <laughs> I've been making much more of an effort to post regularly on Instagram and I'm having so much fun with it. It can be a hoot, can't it? <laughs> it really can. Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot. So I would love to see uh, anybody over on Instagram or on Facebook. Amazing. And so you're in Kingston treating people in person, and then you can also do virtual anywhere in Ontario, right? Yes, both myself and the person that I'm talking to have to be in Ontario. Awesome. But people can reach out and see virtually otherwise. Yeah. Or not otherwise, but if they're in Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay. My very last question. And I apologize. I didn't give this to you in advance. So hopefully I'm putting, hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot too much, but if a couple is struggling to conceive, what are the, let's say three, but it doesn't have to be three. What are the three pieces of homework you would give them or the three tips that you would tell them about right away? Okay. Start tracking your menstrual cycle. Because if you end up talking to somebody like me, that's going to be important information. When does it start? And do you know anything about ovulation? Are you seeing fertile quality cervical fluid, that fluid that stretches between the fingers? Um, so that's one. Start, start gathering some information. Mm -hmm. uh, get some blood work done at, at a bare minimum. Um, you know, talk to your family doctor, get your iron level checked, get your B12, get your vitamin D. Like those are, those are all easy to do and to correct. Um, number three, this is a, this is a tough one, but try not to make it too much of a chore. You know, I, I tend to see people, people that 
tend to end up seeing a naturopath are the go-getters, the people that like to plan everything, <laughs> the people that like to have all the information. Um, but most of the time, it's not super necessary. You know, okay. for most people, it's, it's not going to be a problem. Okay. That's great advice. And I think it's something that a lot of women will really maybe identify with and just hearing that will help because you don't want it to be a chore. Right. So again, like you said, it's hard to do, but I think important. Yeah. And if you find yourself going down the Google rabbit hole, don't, don't put all that pressure on yourself, you know, get the advice of somebody that's done all that work. <laughs> Absolutely. Dr. Google never uh, really comes to the rescue. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And I know I learned a lot and I hope our listeners did too. And yeah, I'll make sure to kind of tag everything in the Instagram post. So then hopefully people can find you and you can help all of our amazing couple listeners uh, conceive their children. <laughs> That would make me so happy. And this was very fun. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you.